welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about plant health. It's been a real popular topic in the last few years, so we'll give you a little information about that. As well, we will get to the Ag PhD mailbag just shortly here. Our number, if you would like to give us a call and talk about anything going on in your farm, is 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Ag PhD Media, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, so before we get going with the Ag PhD mailbag, I'll, I'll just tell you, with plant health, there are a lot of things that that basically could mean overall obviously we just want the plant to be healthier so it produces more yield but the other side of that is we want to look at the nutritional aspects in that plant too and a lot of this does start in the soil certainly there are things you can do after the crop gets going and do some foliar applications, that kind of thing, to supplement stuff. But, I mean, this is a really all-encompassing topic, so we will hit that here in just a little bit. Right now, let's get to the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's the Mailbag! All right, get this in from Michael. He said, I was watching you guys on RFD, and I saw an ad for your upcoming tiling workshop. I believe it's available through uh, something online that I can watch, but I also see that it's free to magazine subscribers. How do I subscribe to your magazine and say that I do join and watch? Is there going to be a recording available afterwards, too? Yes, there will be a recording. So agphdinsider.com is our magazine. Again, that's agphdinsider.com. And if you forget that, just go to agphd.com, and through some links, they can get you over to that and get you into the Ag PhD Tiling Clinic. Now, what we always tell people is, yes, you can live stream many of our things anymore, many of our workshops, but we'd really encourage you attend in person because not only do you get more opportunity to ask us questions, but even visit with farmers there that, for example, are doing tiling right now or have done tiling. We'll have tiling equipment there, tiling companies there. So it's just a way to more immerse yourself into the topic. And also, I just find it's helpful a lot of times to get away from the farm for a day so you get your mind focused on that and not all the 87 other distractions that end up happening usually when you're trying to watch some kind of live stream. All right, thanks for the question. Look forward to uh, chatting with you. If you have any questions during that event, that'd be great to hear from you as well. I get this question that came in from Daniel, and he said, I am down in Arkansas. We get some heavy rains oftentimes right after planting, and we're putting a group 15 out there. We've seen a little injury. We've seen a little crop response using metallochlor with a safener. I'm just curious, uh, is there any other group 15 that you think would be easier on the corn than metallochlor with the safener, or should we change up our timing, or or what can we do to reduce that injury? Wait, what was the timing? Well, they're putting it out there sometime right around planting. Uh, doesn't say if it's <laughs> okay, right so, before or right okay, after. Okay, so we don't have the exact timing. All right, so... No, I don't think you're really going to see anything better than metallochlor with the safener. That safener so, does make quite a difference. So it the does. The that they add in the dual two 
products. Right. Uh, that that was much better than the old just straight Metallicor yes. products. And you know, this is one of the challenges. It's interesting you bring this up, Daniel, because there are so many different formulations of Metallicor on the market every year. I think you write something up about that all the time, Brian. About hey, there's all these different Metallicors. They have different rates of active ingredient out there, so you see lots of different use rates. And then there's also some that have safeners, some that don't have safeners. And man, you got it right though, Daniel. You're on lighter soils, heavier rainfall area. Getting the safener in there definitely helps. There's no doubt about that. Okay. But I don't think that you're going to see anything that is dramatically better, maybe a little bit better, um, but I seriously doubt it. So, I mean, there's also Outlook, there's Zidua, there's Harness, Surpass. And by the way, Harness and Surpass do have safeners in there. So, nope, not going to see a lot of difference. But here's how you would minimize the problem. Number one, personally, and, and what I like to do if I'm going to not till it in is spray really early. So we like to spray a month before planting, but keep in mind that month before planting, nothing is growing. So it's different in, let's say you're in the Southern United States and something weeds are going to be growing that whole month before you plant. Okay. Then I don't suggest that because then you're going to lose some of the product. We like to spray in March, plant in April and I mean, literally, I, and I'm serious, there's nothing growing. So, but you might say, well, why would I do it so early then if nothing's growing? To get it more dispersed in the soil. That's the problem that you got here is the dispersion in the soil. So if you say, well, I want to do this right at planting time, well, then till it in. That, that's what we do on our farm in our conventional till, and that absolutely minimizes the problem. It's not going to completely reduce the risk, but it will minimize the problem. All right, uh, Marion down in Nebraska uh, said, you guys were talking about the phosphorus to zinc ratio and that on your farm somewhere around a 10 to 1 seemed to be where you got the highest yields. So I'm curious, do you figure that uh, by taking the phosphorus in the soil, adding the phosphorus that you're going to be applying for no. the season? No, nope. And then, yeah, how do you do that? No, we just look at what's what is sitting there at the end of the season. So we're we're not saying so end of the season, not beginning end of the, of the season. season. We're saying end plus of the season. what the crop's going to use during no, the year is what no. you'll need to be at the start of the season. Well, yeah, but okay, just forget about that for a second. The ratio we're talking about is what's there at the end of the season. Then obviously you're going to need to fertilize for your crop and whatever crop removal is. But we're just saying what's left in the soil, and it's not exact 10 to 1, because it depends on the type of test you're running. Like with Malik 3, it might be closer to 8 to 1 or 6 to 1 sometimes for the very best. But if you're somewhere near 10 to 1, you're usually in fairly good shape. We just can tell you if you're at 50 to 1 or if you're at 2 to 1, I mean, then, yes, we are seeing yield losses, and it's just, well, this is when we talk about you can't just have certain amounts in your soil of random nutrients like, oh, phosphorus, and we're not going to look at anything else. We want balance of nutrients in the soil. So with phosphorus, we like to look at the ratio of phosphorus to copper. We like to look at the ratio of phosphorus to zinc, like you're asking about. So some of those things really do seem to help and have led to more yield. We're going to talk plant health here on Ag PhD Radio, coming up next. The weeds are coming! The weeds are coming! Hey, Paul Revere! This whole midnight ride thing is getting real... What the HPPD-resistant weeds are coming! 
We've got Verdict Herbicide. Verdict Herbicide? Yeah, it's a non-HPPD corn pre-herbicide from BASF. Well, well then, get some sleep. Yeah, will do. The weeds are coming! Switch to Verdict Herbicide! Always read and follow label directions! In 1923, Bert R. Benjamin had a vision. An all-purpose tractor that could do more. With that, the Farmall was born. This year, Case IH is celebrating 100 years of Farmall. 100 years of milestones, 100 years of innovation, passion, grit. And they're doing it through your stories. Share them at farmall100.com. One lucky storyteller will win their own Farmall. The tractor that is the one for all. Hi, Greg Souter. Shopping for a 2x2 system for your planner? Take a close look at 360 Bandit. When we designed Bandit, I made sure it applied bands of nitrogen the perfect place for rapid root uptake. And I made sure Bandit didn't interfere with the critical functions of the planter, like depth and seed placement. You won't find a better, low-cost system for the ideal nitrogen placement on your planter. Get the information you need at 360yieldcenter.com. Think ahead to planting. Schedule your planter inspection with the experts at CNB. Make sure your equipment is in top shape and ready for the field this spring. CNB is your local John Deere dealer offering expert service and customer commitment. Learn more or schedule your appointment online today at DeerEquipment.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. And now when you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. Offer good while supplies last, so order yours today at FarmShopMFG.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and our topic is plant health. If you have questions or would like to contribute to that conversation, it's 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Got Ryan Peeper on with us to start the show off here. He works with TopCon. Ryan, thanks for joining us today. You bet. Thanks, Darren. Talk to us a little bit about crop spec and some of the things that you're working on. Yeah, we've, uh, you know, we've had a lot of increased interest in this, you know, variable rate nitrogen space at, at TopCon. Um, it's really kind of come to the forefront with a lot of topics that are moving around us, you know, whether it be the, you know, the sustainability piece that um, a lot of us are hearing about in the news with trying to do a better job with our fertility programs, um, you know, whether it be just really trying to, I'll say allocate nutrients correctly, um, you know, especially as it pertains to nitrogen, um, trying to put the right amount of product, you know, at the right place at the right time. So um, all of those things kind of start to wrap around our, our crop spec product as we look at, um, you know, plant health and trying to do the best job we can. I talk to a lot of farmers who say, man, I'm driving through the field several times during the crop season. Why can't my tool tell me what's going on? Why do I got to go out and pull all these extra samples and take all this time that I don't have? So how close to reality are we from just our regular equipment just being set up with sensors like this to to tell us a lot about the crop and help us manage it even better? No, that's a great question, Darren. So, it, it you know, we like to say that the crop spec rides for free on the sprayer, right? So as we're out doing, you know, some of those chemical applications, whether it be uh, earlier or mid-season, we can always be gen- be generating data layers, right, and understanding some of the trends real time. Um, you know, you, you, a lot of folks have seen 
um, satellite images of their of their crop. You know, we met, they might be from that week or month, but this is a you know a real time sensor that's looking at the at that plant health um, on the go, and can be you know just a data layer to to start to look at managing, or can be uh, you know a real time sensor that's actually tied into the machine and telling the machine to you know speed up or slow down the rate of product coming out of the boom yeah that's exciting and and i think about every field that i ride at harvest time that yield monitor tells me there's differences out there and in some cases some big ones so it doesn't make any sense why we would want to put the same amount of plant food out there on every single acre when we aren't going to get the same kind of crop no you're right it doesn't there's sort of two schools of thought um on on crop specs in some cases you know we want to take a lower uh, performing area and, and bring it up right um, but in most cases we want to take those higher performing areas and and really drive them right we have these you know the research behind the hybrids today with these i'll call it more racehorse type hybrids that you know can really be benefit benefited off of you know being pushed from a fertility perspective so that's something that crop spec allows us to essentially execute on right yeah, and I know a lot of farmers will say, well, uh, I'm trying to go after this with variable rate seeding populations too to to try to put the right population out there to give it the best shot. And then feeding it correctly makes a lot of sense too and letting the crop tell you, okay, do we need more food here? Are we doing good? Uh, it, it's something that, that a lot of farmers are going to get excited about. Well, I, I believe so as well. Um, that's why we're putting some you know, additional focus behind crop spec. It's been a product that's very popular for us globally, but really hasn't taken, you know, a, I'll call it a, a mass market appeal here in the in the states. So it's something that we're starting to talk a lot more about. It's technology that Topcon's had for a number of years, um, but we think we really need to be, you know, promote, promoting more and, and providing more research and hopefully, you know, delivering more um, more performance at the end of the day with it. It's really become it's a measurement tool right there. And I mean, that's what TopCon does as a company. We provide tools of measurement, you know, whether that be um, from all sorts of all parts of our company, whether that be a, you know, a, a dozer running, uh, building a highway or a, you know, your, your uh, optical device at the optometrist, when you're getting your eyes checked, we we're a measurement company and that's what uh crop spec ultimately brings is as a measurement tool for your, your biomass health, your crop health. Yeah, there have been a lot of these uh, types of thing, thoughts that farmers have had of, man, if I could just have sensors that are on my equipment as I'm already driving through, uh, here's a product crop spec from Topcon that's been out for a number of years globally, uh, just, just gaining some foothold here in the United States, something that you might take a look at, especially when it comes to something like plant health, our topic for today. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much. Really appreciate you sharing a little bit about that. You bet. Thanks again. Got our friend Doug Phelps on right now, uh, coming to us from hopefully a little bit warmer places than where we're where we're at. How you doing, Doug? I'm doing well, and I can see the sun today, so it is a good day in uh, Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. There you go. All right, so uh, you know, working with Sipcam Agro, what do you talk about when it comes to plant health and just the health in general of that crop that we're trying to raise? Well, one of the things that uh, being in this role and, and coming into the crop protection space, as I as I started to listen to and learn more about fungicides, 
it seemed that the conversation that was being had with fungicides sounded very, very similar to uh, the biostimulant conversations that I had for well over 20 years. And, you know, as, as far as, you know, either using a biostimulant, a biostimulant or a fungicide, it's all about reducing the, the, the crop, uh, you know, stresses and, and, and limiting factors on that acre. And I think in, in both senses, a biostimulant or a fungicide can provide that to the crop. You know, when you think about crop stress, this is something that could be for a wide variety of, of factors. And I think about it just for ourselves. I mean, we walk outside, it's either too hot or too cold or too windy or not windy enough or too sunny or not sunny enough. It's hardly ever just perfect, Doug. And for crops that are out in fields and they have to stay out there 24-7 for the entire growing season, it's going to get too dry at times. It's going to be too wet at times and so forth. So uh, how do we manage through that stress and what are some of those things we could do uh, up front to try to prevent stress or at least reduce it well that's where that's where i think the fungicide and the biostimulants would come into the equation and and we kind of look at each of them you know as somewhat of an insurance policy because we don't know how the crop season is going to be everybody hopes it's a perfect growing season but i in all of my years in agriculture i have yet to see one Um, so with that being said if we can put out affordable uh, you know, applications on the acre that are designed to mitigate those stresses, whether it be too hot, too cold, too dry, too wet, or whatever that is, and I can afford that application, um, that, that's where the ROI comes in, in, in losing less yield over the course of the growing season and, and you know, versus the mindset that if I'm going to spend money, it's, it's automatically got to increase the yield. What we see in, in many instances is the increased yield over, say, the, the untreated control is, is actually a, a lo- uh, less loss of yield over, over those mitigating factors. So, you know, if, if you're looking at products, um, you know, whether they be in the biostimulant or the fungicide space, you know, it's not about, it's not about uh, yields from the past or what yield you had this year, and it's got to be above that. It's, it's, you know, look at it in comparison to, you know, the split acre, and did I get a, you know, an insurance uh, type of an effect with this investment of a, of a fungicide or bio that, that paid out in an ROI? Yeah, for us, we look at a, a lot of failures with fungicides where we just don't get good enough coverage. We see so many guys with great big droplets and, and drift reduction tips they're using for dicamba or 2,4-D or Roundup and not getting great coverage. We, we've seen much better results with smaller spray droplets with fungicides, getting them all over the leaves, and then also using things like we talk about New Tech's EDA with you uh, a lot about just driving that fungicide in, getting the best performance out of it. And certainly that showed up this year on a stressful year. We got got better results, as you mentioned, Doug, kind of using a combination there of, of fungicides with, with something like a, a delivery mechanism like New Tech's EDA. Uh, talking with Doug Phelps here with SIPCAM Agro. Doug, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you for having me. We'll talk more about plant health when we get back from this short break, but we'll also take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? 
prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC Herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode of action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 Herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking plant health today here in the Morton studio and taking your calls and questions at 844 44 Ag PhD. So, we talked just a little bit about fungicides. Uh, didn't really get into a lot of details with that, but we've got Marty Chilvers now with Michigan State who knows a little something about uh, diseases and fungicides and, and their use out in crops. Marty, thanks for joining us. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. All right, uh, we talk about plant health, and a lot of times folks will say, well, fungicides, they, they make my plant healthier. Uh, is that always a good thing to just say, well, I don't have disease, but I'm looking at plant health, or are we looking for trouble here? Uh, we could be looking for trouble. Um, so we certainly want people to be aware of you know, the potential of fungicide resistance development, just like we have in our herbicides. 
Um, so it's just something that we want to keep in mind as, as we you know, think about these decisions that we're going to make. Now, when you talk about resistance management, when it comes to weed control, we always talk about using multiple effective modes of action. And when it comes to disease control with fungicides, I really don't feel like the industry in general has a good feel for which products are the best on each particular disease. It just seems like more times than not, we we hear, well, let's just use multiple modes of action. We got a better shot of something working there, but maybe there's only one mode of action that's really effective on a certain disease. I, I don't know. I, are, am I missing yeah. something here or am I? Am I... No, <laughs> no that's, a, that's a good question. We could probably talk for an hour on this alone. Well, but, like, like take strabiliorins, you know, Martin, take strabiliorins. Right. We already know there's <laughs> resistance on that chemistry. And it seems like almost yeah. every two-way product and many of the three ways have one of those in. And if that's kind of like using Roundup on a Roundup resistant weed, well, that's not very good right. in terms of stopping resistance. Yeah, that, no, that's a really good point. So for strabiliorins, we've got, yeah, fungicide resistance. When we think about frog eye leaf spot and soybean, uh, and I know sugar beets up here in Michigan, um, the Sacospora species there. And so that's something that the university folk are looking at and paying attention to with respect to the different uh, diseases that we do have out there, just monitoring for any changes there. Um, yeah, and so I guess what I would say is that if we're using a single um, mode of action, putting that out there repeatedly, that's going to lead to greater selection for resistance in the population. So that's why we prefer uh, the use of multi-mode um, action products. Uh, but it does certainly get confusing <laughs> yeah, in it, terms of what product's doing the heavy lifting out there. It, it does. And the other thing, when it just comes to disease control, if we don't put the fungicide mm -hmm. out before we really see disease, it's tough. It's not like weeds where you see the pigweed out yeah. there and we know we got to do something and, is there here's one comment my brother's always said he said yeah. is there a low level of disease that we just don't see yet i mean how long from infection to when we actually can see something on these plants with many of the diseases yeah that, that's that's yep that's a really good point as well so like what at what threshold should we be making a fungicide application um a lot of us are, are trying to develop better um, thresholds. Uh, there are models out there, you know, for a head scab in wheat, there's a, a head scab model out there that does a pretty good job at predicting risk. There's one for white mold and for tar spot now. Uh, and we're actively working on other models at the moment, actually, through this national predictive modeling uh, network that we have going. So that's something we, we definitely want to um, bring along and put more tools in our producers' hands for, for making better informed decisions. You know, when we, we look at plant health in general, what are some things you see, Marty? Uh, do you go right to fungicides as the number one plant health tool, or are there some other things you would say, yeah. you know what, we have healthier plants if, if you do these things? Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. So, you know, from my perspective, I'm always thinking about disease management. And so if there's a particular disease we're trying to manage, the best way to protect from that disease is variety resistance. It doesn't really matter what the disease is across any crop. That, that variety of resistance really has to be the underpinning of your disease management program, you know, to, to maximize that plant health, if you will, you know, during those times of, of heavy disease pressure. 
Yeah, there there are a lot of things that go into this. You you mentioned there are many things we can control, like variety choice. Uh, we we've got mm-hmm. good choice of that. Uh, you know, we're we're seeing some other challenges getting put into the equation with uh, some of the continuous cropping that goes on, and we're guilty of that too. Mm-hmm. We we've got some fields that'll be continuous corn this year, so I know we got higher mm-hmm. chances of having problems. <laughs> also, cover crop. We we've been using some cover crop on our farm too, and we've noticed uh, we got a few more bugs and a few more diseases. Mm that seem to like that. So it, it's kind of complicated. It, it certainly is. And cover crops are one that we haven't put as much effort into. Um, yeah, we, we need to do more work there. And I know, you know, a number of groups are working in that area. Um, but there's a lot of unknowns. Some some uh, cover crops can certainly exacerbate certain diseases. So, yeah, unfortunately, there's more work to be done. Yeah, well, and there's a lot of related species there that are also hosts, and that can be trouble. We know we talked yeah. about that a little bit with soybean cyst nematode, but also with some of these diseases that we're fighting. Uh, we're talking with Marty Chilvers here at Michigan State. Marty, thank you so much. Really appreciate the time today. Thanks for the work that you're doing, too. We really appreciate that. All right. Thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, let's head up a little bit further north. Uh, we've got Rahia Deardahl-Young on with us right now with BASF. How are you doing, Rahia? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. All right. We're talking about disease and plant health, and certainly BSF has had a great story with this and documented many of the things that are happening inside the plant. Talk to us a little bit about the, the plant health benefits that, that we can see from, from fungicides and, and other things BSF's working on. Yeah, absolutely. So when I think about plant health, one of the ways you describe it as a three-legged stool right? The first one, obviously, is disease performance. Um, We're really looking to have a fungicide that's going to help us to manage disease. I love that Marty was just talking about varietal selection. I think that's a really important part of this. And the fungicide on top of that, I think, really levels up our disease control in a lot of situations. The next leg of that stool is going to be improved growth efficiency. So with BASF fungicides, we actually see more efficient photosynthesis coming because partially because it keeps the stomates open. And that third leg of the stool is increasing our stress tolerance. One of the really cool things that you can actually document when you use a BASF fungicide like Veltima or like Revitec is that the plants produce less ethylene. Ethylene is a stress hormone. It's the one that, you know, turns bananas yellow. It's an important part of the way the plant communicates. When that ethylene comes on, it's kind of like smoke that triggers a smoke alarm, right? Um, As soon as the plant gets that alarm, a stress event happens, whether you're talking about hail, you're talking about wind damage, any of these different things that our crops face every single year, that ethylene response tells the plant to switch into defensive mode and to stop yielding. So when we're applying that BASF plant health fungicide, we're actually suppressing that and kind of tricking the plant to last through that stressful advance uh, event without having that yield penalty. Yeah, there, there's a lot going on in there. And I know uh, for, for many farmers, they, they think, well, I need to spray a fungicide for plant health. But if I ask a lot of farmers to say, tell me all the plant health benefits that you see, most farmers would just say, well, <laughs> I, I see my crop is greener. 
and it, it sure looks uh, greener, maybe even a darker green, and it doesn't die quite as soon as it does if I don't use a fungicide. Absolutely. And I, I would definitely agree with those observations. I've seen the same thing on, on my farm. Uh, it doesn't always mean more yield, but if we get rains in August and our beans are healthier like mm-hmm. that, it really pops. Yeah, just I've been to fields where you can tell to the line or you can see a sprayer skip in that late season. But it's just the act of you're keeping the plant alive and you're essentially just keeping that photosynthetic factory on and enabling us to just maximize yield. It's fungicides are often the last dollar we spend on the acre, but I would argue one of those things that really helped to put that whole investment just over the top applying that fungicide at the end of the season. There's a lot that goes into this to to making these different tools work. And uh, like Rahia mentioned here earlier, there's there's several things that all, all kind of work together. So we've got to do what we can to manage things out on our fields and using some of these tools uh, like the right fungicide at the right time can really help. Rahia, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Absolutely a pleasure. Have a great season. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate and that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. 
At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today, just been talking about plant health, and I thought we had some great guests on. I I guess the biggest thing that I want to stress to you is a lot of your plant health is really going to start in the soil. So I always, and I know if you listen to the show often, you hear this, hear me say this all the time, but I always start with, we have to have good drainage. If you don't have good drainage, then what ends up happening is you don't have enough air in the soil and all these beneficial microbes that could actually help your plant, they're not allowed to live because they don't have the air. So when we think drainage right away, you're just thinking water management. I'm thinking about air management because it's not just the plants and their roots that have to have air. It's all those beneficial microbes, all those important things that are in the soil. And there are literally trillions of those, even sometimes in a handful of dirt. So that's number one to me when we talk about plant health. And and I know it may, may seem like a stretch to you, but I'm thinking about, I got to have air in the soil. And then beyond that, I'd just say, you really want to take a look at what you have overall for fertility. And we were talking about it even in the first segment of the show with one of the questions that came in, like phosphorus to zinc ratio, for example. It's not just about, oh, let's throw a bunch of fertilizer out there. Let's be smart about it, put it where we need to, try to get the pH neutralized, and then try to have a balance of nutrients in that soil. And yes, we want good amounts. We don't want the soil to be starved for nutrients because if the soil's starved, then the plant's starved, and then you can't have great plant health. In addition to all this, we talk all the time on the show about weed, insect, and disease control. And the more you can reduce stresses, and I just want you to think about this for a second. It's exactly like human beings. If you go to the doctor, what's the doctor going to say? doctor's going to say, eat better, reduce your stress, right? Why? Well, it's a proven fact. If you don't eat right and you have lots of stress in your life, you are more likely, and not that it's a guarantee, but you're more likely to have health issues. Everything from cancer, heart issues, you name it. It's the same kind of deal in your plants. If your plant is starved for nutrients and it's under stress from weeds, insects, diseases, nematodes, mites, any pest that there is, anything, drought, you name it. If it's under stress, then you've got problems. That plant isn't going to be healthy and it will produce more natural carcinogens. That's a fact. So a lot of times we're not thinking that far as farmers. I mean, our goal is just, hey, we want more yield. What do we need to do? Yeah, tell me the eight things I need to do. I'll do those. Hopefully I get great yield. But again, this plant health topic is really all-encompassing. And I just want you to think about, we want that plant at the end of the day to be as healthy as possible so it can produce as, as much nutritious food for our planet as possible. And I think long-term, and granted, it might be 50 or 100 years, but I think long-term, we could actually be more incentivized as farmers 
even if we're raising the, the main commodities out there, corn or soybeans or wheat, we could be more incentivized to produce more nutrients, more vitamins and minerals and all the good stuff in our crops instead of just bushels and pounds, basically. But that's where plant health is going, in my opinion. And I just, again, will tell you, hey, make sure you're taking a look at drainage, overall soil fertility, reduce the stress on that plant, do everything you can. And sure, most likely that means it's going to produce more bushels. But on top of that, it's just flat out going to be more nutritious for humans, animals, anybody to consume. All right, let's get back to the Ag PhD mailbag. All right, Brian, got four plant tissue tests here. This is from Brandon down in Tennessee. And he said, first of all, uh, enjoyed your, your workshops here this winter so far. Uh, he said, I did some tiller counts on, on these different farms. And on several of them, uh, I'm at 100 tillers per square foot. Uh, another one, I'm at 70. So I got a, a couple different questions here. So where I've already got 100 tillers per square foot, I don't want any more tillers. So I'm wondering, you've talked about letting the crop maybe even yellow just a little bit before you put the N on to, to kind of finish up that uh, tiller um, tiller starting here. Can I just wait till growth stage five or 30, however you want to stage it? What's Eric Watson do, Darren? Well, World record wheat producer. And that, that's part of the question is you'd mentioned Eric Watson and, and at what point is he going to go crazy? And I'm not Eric Watson. So I'm looking at the nitrogen uptake chart of wheat and it really kicks in after stage five. So when we're looking at the feek stages, uh, stage five would be leaf sheaths strongly erected okay. just before the first node of the stems. Yes. Visible. So theoretically, he's right. You could wait. But I just want you to think about this. Is that nitrogen going to go into the plant today? For example, on our farm, we put nitrogen out. We'll stream bar it in our, in our wheat. Well, if I don't get rain for a week, when's the nitrogen going to get into the plant? Well, not for a week. So... I, because we're dryland farmers, we have to be early rather than late. And I know you might already say, well, I got enough tillers. Personally, I would tell you I'd put some nitrogen on immediately, I mean, as soon as you can. And then if you want to wait a little bit until that next stage where you say, okay, well, I think I could do this, try some of that too. And then you're going to prove it to yourself and find out, okay, I'm in good shape. But when I look at your plant tissue analysis, you don't have some high level of nitrogen in there. You've got basically 2.3% to 2.9%. That's not enough for a great wheat crop. We know that for a fact, and you know that too. But it's just when is that timing going to be exactly right? Yep, you can maybe get by for a little while, but I'm not waiting too long if it's me. Yeah, uh, he, he mentions too where he wants a little bit more. He's going to go ahead and put some nitrogen out there now. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. The The thing that Eric's doing it, a little bit differently is he's using plant growth regulators to try to make sure all the tillers come at the same time. He, he's trying to get them to all mature at the same time. So you're not out there. Uh, we were talking about plant health on today's show. And, and when you think about some of the diseases that come up and can be a problem around heading, like Fusarium head blight, excuse me, Fusarium head blight, uh, if you've got tillers that are flowering and tillers that aren't flowering, 
when are you going to time that application? Because <laughs> you want to time it about 10 or 15% flowering. Well, you're going to have tillers that haven't even started yet, and you're not going to be able to protect them. And you could still see Fusarium head scab come in later. All right, here's the other thing. All we have here is plant tissue tests. And I, I guess I just want to remind everybody, plant tissue tests are not predictive at all. They only tell us, what do I have today? So there might be a whole bunch of nitrogen in the ground. I don't know that. And same thing with some of the other nutrients, because you certainly do not have an overabundance of sulfur, boron, the leachable nutrients. And quite frankly, I don't know where you're at for potassium when the big need for potassium comes in a while and, and phosphorus. I don't know any of those things. All I know is the information you sent, which was for tissue tests. So, I mean, it's great to have this information. I'm just trying to say it's certainly not complete information and it's hard to make a recommendation because we don't know what's already sitting there in the soil and ready to go. All right. Brandon also says, I'm really excited to try that verify program that matches up grid soil samples to yield data to try to show what, what kind of nutrient levels you need for each yield. Hey, thanks, Brandon. Really appreciate that. Yeah, we're excited about that program too. All right, got another question that comes in from Ryan, and we can get started here before we're running into our next break. Ryan sent in some soil tests. He said, got a few things here. I want to ask you about tiling. also want to ask you about lime. Uh, we've got a 40-acre field here, west central Illinois, heavy floodplain soil, CEC 37.7. Wait, 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 wait. Heavy? These are, are, are we talking the same soil test? These are all 10. Oh, CEC. did I give you the wrong ones? Yeah. Maybe I did. Well, maybe we'll have to dig here just a yep, second. Yep. To, yeah, to I was going to say, this isn't heavy ground. Might have got mixed Because as soon as you said tiling, I'm like, wait a second. Tiling? You got some 10 CEC ground here. All right. I think I might have given you two different ones here. So, <laughs> okay. So, so Ryan says, okay, we've sampled a 40-acre field, 37.7 CEC, heavy floodplain soils, west central Illinois. Okay. We're thinking about drain tile. Yep. And I watched several of your videos. You mentioned that it starts flowing once the groundwater rises up into the pipe. My question yep. is, will tile help water infiltrate faster at the surface in tight soils? Are no. corns getting damaged when we get heavy nope. rains nope. when water ponds? Nope, won't help at all. <laughs> all right. Uh, if the groundwater, if the water table is not above the tile line, no, it's not going to help at all. Okay, Ryan is also asking some calcium questions around, yes. around liming, and we will get to that here yeah, right after the and water this infiltration. Break. You bet. Well, we'll get to those shortly. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Water Hemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right Fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. There's no time to mess around when it comes to early season protection from yield-robbing pests and diseases. Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide is the next generation of at-plant protection. Through your liquid fertilizer system, get broad-spectrum defense and create an environment where seedlings can vigorously emerge with more uniformity, helping to optimize your productivity and yield. Get serious seedling defense with Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide. Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow all label directions. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. 
Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash uscrop. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Officer Jones calling for backup. 10-4, location? Graber back 40. Looks like we've got Palmer Amaranth, Kosha, some common water hemp. Resistant weeds. Copy that. You'll need a good tank mix partner. I'm sending tough 5 UC. Come out with your hands up! Guys, we're surrounded. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5 EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belgian Crop Protection. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open here, right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. So it's your calls and your questions the whole rest of the show. 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Okay, uh, just for the break, we're, we're getting into Ryan's questions here. West Central Illinois, heavy floodplain soil. And he said the surface water is not going to get addressed by subsurface tiling. However... He said, I also watched a video you guys did about calcium and magnesium-based saturation. The calcium was 57, magnesium was 39, and the base saturation K 1.4, and the pH is 6.9. Now, organic matter is 2.8. Boy, that's a lot of numbers that we threw out. So Yeah, I got it. So we got a I'm CEC good. at 37. I'm good, and I know. Organic matter at just shy of three. So it's heavy yep. soil, lots of organic matter. And the calcium's a little low, the magnesium's really high, and the potassium is low as well. So would adding lime, even though our pH is already 6.9, help improve infiltration? Or would gypsum be a better option since the pH gypsum. is okay? Gypsum. Okay, so gypsum doesn't change pH. Lime is going to raise the pH. If you want to put lime out, you should probably also put elemental sulfur out as soon as you fix the drainage. So we, you got two things going on here. Number one, you're in an area of the country that gets a lot of rain, and you said heavy floodplain kind of ground. So flat is what that tells me. doesn't drain very well. And I know it doesn't drain very well because you got so much magnesium. But anyway, here's the point. The, the two things that are going on is, number one, you have a subsurface drainage issue, and number two, you have a surface drainage issue. So let's talk about the subsurface first. So that's the water table comes up. So when your water table rises above 
well, it, it rises enough to get into the root zone. What's happening is you're choking out the air, meaning that not only do your roots die, but the beneficial soil microbes die. So today on the show, we were talking about plant health, but that really starts with soil health. And soil health begins with great drainage. You have to have air in that soil. So I would just tell you, you want to you want to get drain tile out there. The higher your cation exchange capacity means, the closer together the tile lines need to be. So... Like on our farm, if I have 37 cation exchange capacity, which I double check, it might not truly be 37. Um, where I'm going with that is you could run a cation displacement test. Neil Kinsey does that kind of thing. We want to make sure there's no like excess lime there or something that's artificially raising that number a little higher. But even if it's only if even if it's a little high, you probably still have 30 to 35 CEC. And the fact of the matter is that means you have very, very heavy soil. So you're going to need tile lines close together. You also have to look at how much water moves into your area. So for example, we've got a river bottom field where basically everybody else's ground drains to ours. <laughs> okay, so what's that tell you? Well, normally we don't have a lot of rain. All right, we have 22, 24 inches. But because other people's water runs onto our ground, that means it's like we do have more rain. So we have tile lines closer together, like 25-foot spacings. You probably are going to have to do the same. I know it is going to cost money up front, but get the subsurface drainage thing fixed, okay? And, and that's tile. Now, let's talk about the surface. Oh, and by the way, the reason why you want that subsurface thing done, and I'd probably put my tile lines if I was in Illinois, maybe closer to four feet deep. Here in South Dakota, we put a lot of our lines at three feet deep because we don't... We, don't, we just don't have a lot of rain. So in Illinois, you want to have a little more capacity. So when you get lots of rain, then the water table can come up a little ways and you have a little cushion. My point is, think about between the tile lines, okay? If you got your tiles like I do set at three feet, in between the lines, the water is going to move up a little bit. So it's probably at two and a half feet in between my lines. Well, if it goes up another foot, I'm at a foot and a half, and that's a problem because I, I better have lots of root mass in my top couple of feet and lots of basically soil life in the top couple of feet. Well, for you, I mean, when you're in an area that gets more rainfall, it's very common for that water table to come up much more than a foot if you get a whole bunch of rain. So I'd probably set my lines a little bit deeper. But anyway, that's it's all about water table management, okay? And the tile lines do not run unless your water table is above the level of the tile line. All right, now, onto the surface drainage problem. What that means is you've got compaction somehow, some way, and everybody thinks about compaction just as, oh, it's it's equipment running out in the field. Well, it's not just that, or tillage. Let me, um, let me it, add to this, because Ryan ahead. said, we are considering use a, using a ripper to break up a sure. hard pan. There just you go. curious if long-term no-till planting would be better for infiltration or if we were doing some tillage right around planting on a regular basis. Okay, so long-term no-till, if you don't fix the compaction problem first, in our experience, is not going to help you. So we didn't fix the compaction problem first, no-tilled for 10 years, just got worse. So that was that was dumb. Um, fix the compaction problem first. Now, here are the couple things you need to consider. Number one, yes, you could do some tillage, break up a hard pan. Number two, you've got so much magnesium there. Things are going to be tight. So your soil's naturally going to, uh, going to compact because magnesium, it's really small 
molecule. It's a really small molecule compared to calcium. And because of that, it can pack in tight. And that's, that's the issue. So you want to change your calcium-magnesium ratio to lessen the amount of compaction you have there. And then also, the, and the reason why no-till is good in the long term, no-till or strip-till, something like that, is you want to build your soil organic matter. The more organic matter you have in your soil, the less likely it is to compact. So, yes, uh, once you fix your drainage issue, I would like to see you go no-till, strip-till, something like that, or at least minimum-till. So you start building your soil's organic matter, and you will get better infiltration. So anyway, it's it's two kind of different things, but they both work together in lockstep. So get them fixed, and your yields over time are going to go up, which means your soil health is going to get better, and your plant health is going to get better. It, and it it's not going to happen overnight for you. It's going to take years. And even 10, 15 years down the road, you're going to say, boy, I think things are still getting better. Yep, they probably are. All right. Uh, I get a question that came in here from Mark, and Mark is raising grain sorghum in southwest Kansas. Uh, two soil samples here, and there's a big difference. If you look at pH, you got one that's, I think, 7.8 and one that's 6.0. Yep. And so I'm not sure, Mark, how big an area those are. But if let's just say they're for one field and for a different field, I would suggest doing some grid sampling out there to try to figure out, okay, how much variability have I got? Because if we're going to start addressing a lot of soil out there, like it's a 7.8 or a lot of soil that it's like a 6.0, that could be the wrong thing in other parts of this field. But questions mainly about a micronutrient here and then a couple other things. So he said, uh, looking at the fertility plans for upcoming grain sorghum crop here in southwest Kansas, uh, I, I was looking at Neil Kinsey's material. He's recommending 100 parts per million or more for iron if you're raising grain sorghum and having iron higher than manganese. Well, my soils and areas have got iron in the teens uh, and much lower than what my manganese okay, is. Okay, let's stop right there. That's using his soil tests, not necessarily yours. So like in our experience, in our Malik 3 stuff for corn and beans, we're not finding that to be true, that ma that iron has to be over manganese. So, I, I mean, iron's expensive. Actually, so is manganese. So before you go messing around too much with iron and manganese, I, I number one, keep that in mind. And number two, try some stuff on a small scale. Prove it out before you go any further. I'll also tell you, if, if you would send a test to Kinsey's lab, he for sure would run a cation displacement test on your first sample where that pH is high. you got 7,500 parts per million of calcium. And I don't see an excess lime test on here, but most likely you have excess lime. So I don't think that's a true reading, and you don't truly have 88% calcium out there in a 28 CEC. You probably have 24 CEC and 78% calcium, little higher magnesium. So anyway, go ahead. All right. So if I'm going to go after this iron, uh, do you think I should go after the iron first, which I think you maybe just answered that. But No, nope, uh, I don't. I, I mean, I'd try some stuff for sure, So, but I wouldn't do it on are, a big scale. I'm set up for two by two on the planter. I could foliar feed or I could dry spread. What would you do? Earlier is better. Okay. Earlier is better. And then are you worried Foliar about my, usually just makes the plant look greener. Are you worried about the high pH tying up the iron that I put sure. out there? Yes. Yes, I am. Iron can get tied up in high pH ground, but you could try a little stuff with the planter. Uh, you could, you know, just do a little bit of broadcast. Do a couple strips of broadcast or something. Try it on a small scale and prove it out. But, yeah, I'm going to really focus on P and K, sulfur, some of the other nutrients. 
nitrogen, obviously, before I'm spending a bunch of money on iron. Thanks for the questions. We really appreciate that. And thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD.